On this episode, we talked to Stephanie Zabel, Head of Strategy at Simplistic, a Shopify agency specializing in design and development work with an emphasis on a strategic partnership. Stephanie shares her experience working with brands who focus on their why behind selling rather than their products. With such a fast-moving landscape in e-commerce, she explains the value in working with companies that intentionally slow down and take the time to analyze data and think through their experience, often leading to greater successes. We also talk about common pitfalls and failures she's seen across the brands she's worked with and how you can take measured steps to learn from others to grow your business consistently and efficiently. So let's get started. Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me, Chase. So tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Simplistic. Yeah, Um, so I am the head of strategy over at Simplistic and what Simplistic is, is a design and development agency um, we partner, we're Shopify plus partner. So we, um, work exclusively in the Shopify space and we help brands either do redesigns or even just to build if it's a new brand launching. Um, and so we help them first build or rebuild their platform. And then we work with our clients on a retainer basis and we do, um, strategic retainers. We do, you know, dev maintenance, design work, things like that. But I live in the strategy space. So all the clients that I work with are, you know, in that strategic program um, side of it. And so then I also get to partner with our build team is what we call um, any, you know, client that we're working with that we are building or doing a full redesign. I also then get to work with them on the retainer side. Um, So yeah, that's what, that's what I do. Amazing. So you hit on uh, on the big word, which is strategic. So that's going to be our big focus today. Uh, I'm super pumped to, to jump in and, and talk strategy. I think there's a lot of interesting conversations going around in, in social networks and in, in just kind of private conversations about when you bring in a strategist. Is it a like day one kind of thing? Is this a once you've found product market fit kind of thing? Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk through those things. So maybe we just kick off and, and start with what, what kind of brands or what type of brand makes the most sense to have a strategic plan? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you hit on an interesting piece of just, you know, when to bring a strategist in. And I think there are so many different types of strategists. So when I'm thinking about the world that I live in, which is specific e-commerce space and the UX piece of the strategy. So um, for that, component to it. I think every brand who's selling online absolutely needs a strategic plan. Um, but the best fit, uh, really any type of brand, there's not an industry specific brand that I would say needs a strategist, but it would be more specifically when you have kind of your internal major players lined up or the department set up. So whether your team is four people or 40 or 400, that doesn't matter. It's more the departments that are kind of set up and firing on all cylinders. So you've got your paid ads, your SEO, your, you know, the e-commerce component, the marketing, advertising affiliates, all of that. When those kind of key players are there, that is a super important time to have a strategist because I think anybody who is running a company in the e-commerce space knows everything feels important. Like everything feels important to every single department and they are all important, but a strategic plan helps you prioritize and see from the foundational level to, uh, you know, the next year really helps you layer on, you know, the most important things that can scale you to the next 
thing. And then it just helps everybody stay focused. So yeah, everyone needs one, but that's a, a pretty good timing. I feel like when I can jump in and work with a company that already has some of their internal pieces working really well, um, it's always a really good partnership at that point. So every kind of like head of department or, or everybody owning kind of one of those major things you touched on will have some sort of report or analytics or something that they kind of review, but the overall strategist will help pull everything together and kind of, you know, see the, was the, the term, see the forest through the trees. So instead of you're looking at one tree at a time, you're kind of looking at the overall picture and pulling everything together. Yeah. And, you know, as an e-commerce strategist, it's my job. Um, you know, I'm not someone when, or any strategist, we're not someone who looks just at the marketing. In fact, because we're in the e-commerce space, we don't really do much with any external marketing, but we know that it all factors into each other. It all plays together. And so while you have maybe your marketing team focusing on a product launch, I'm thinking about, and you have your inventory team making sure you have enough inventory to get manufactured in time for this launch. I'm thinking about the customer experience and the language that we're using on the site. And yes, we're promoting and bringing people here, but are we bringing them to the right space? Are we bringing them to a page that feels trustworthy? Is there that social proof and the trust signals if they don't know your business, if this is the first time they're coming in contact, um, what is the checkout like? So all of that are the pieces that I play, but it everything else matters to the decisions that we make. And so it is really helpful when there are people that are paying attention to their, you know, departments, their legs of the, the business. Totally. Totally. That makes perfect sense. We've, we've had dozens of people on the podcast over the years, merchants and partner side. And it's funny how many people have their own priority of, you know, what's the most important thing, whether it's inventory or shipping or marketing, whatever it is, all of yeah. those things you mentioned. But rarely do you find someone who can come in and say, you know, they're all equally important. It just depends on how they play off each other and, you know, which one leads to the next one and which one's the most important one there. Yeah, totally. So what's what's a good time frame for an overall strategy? I mean, we're 2022. Everything changes so quickly. Uh, COVID obviously accelerated everything. You know, the Google Facebook ads right now is a super popular topic. Is this like a one to three month strategy that makes a lot of sense? Is this six to 12? Is this like a five year plan? What is it that makes the most sense or is it kind of variable within each brand? Yeah, I mean, I've been partnering from the strategic perspective with brands for long enough to know it's it's a long-term partnership. And so anything below six months just never works well. I mean, because truly there's so many when you are paying attention to trends, when you are looking at those monthly reports or the data that's coming in, like you spoke to, those are really vital cues. And that's where you can find patterns. Um, you also can surface some very quick shifts that you might need to take. So you've, you've got to have some space for what we call quick wins. Um, and those have to happen, but really our focus is, is long-term strategy. And so the kind of initiatives that that you know, I think about is complete redesigns of maybe a PDP, a product page, or collections. Maybe new a new content strategy overall, um, an overhaul of product taxonomy and collection hierarchy. So, the even you know the way that people search on your site and how they get to the products they're looking for, and these aren't things that you can take a look at and in a week complete because once we get to the end of what it is that we're going to do with the strategic initiative, it includes 
copywriters and designers and developers to actually, you know, complete that initiative, then we test it. So they are definitely long-term partnerships. And I think that that's the tricky thing with the e-commerce space is it feels fast. You're totally right. Shopping habits have completely shifted. And a lot of that has come from more people are shopping online. And so just the demographic has expanded so much. You don't have just the, you know, kind of core tech savvy generation or whatever. There are young all the way up to old shopping. And so now we have discovered that there are some things that maybe weren't important to users two years ago. We've got to surface them now. We've got to make things really, really easy to find. And it's so saturated that this intuitive shopping um, is super, super important. You don't want to go to a different shopping page on, you know, when you're just a, a person that's like a consumer and have a different checkout experience at every single store you go to. So there also is, you know, you told the line of like innovation and stability. <laughs> so there, there is this need I feel with brands that they really want to react to the trends. And I, I, I move slower. I look for the patterns and the trends that are a little bit longstanding and yes, design trends. Yeah. Let's be innovative hundred percent, but let's slow down a little bit and, and look at the patterns. And then I think that's what helps us have that long-term success. It's really interesting to hear you say that you slow down. You obviously touched on a lot of different things in there. I think it's, it's really cool that you know, we used to have just kind of this X, Y axis where, you know, maybe it's time and maybe it's age is one thing that you look at of like the older people may not understand e-commerce and the younger people are really savvy about it. But it feels like there's five, 10, 15, 20 different dimensions at this point where you have to look at so many different things like you were touching on. But slowing down is kind of refreshing to hear you say because everything is moving so quickly that if you are trying to ride that wave of doing everything quickly, it'll ride the wave right out. And then yeah. what you're working on is going to be old news in three, four, five weeks. So yeah. having that mentality to slow down and really take a strategic approach seems like a great way to, to kind of actually tackle a lot of these problems. Yeah. I mean, I think I learned that from uh, doing it wrong. I mean, I think, you know, in the beginning I did, and I came from the, I came from the brand side, moved into agency work and you do chase a lot of shiny pennies and you do, you know, get a customer complaint and you rush to make the change. And what I've just learned over the years of watching brands and then working with them. And now in the seat that I'm at, having the um, access to, to talking to and working with so many different types of brands within different industries, the commonality is um, sometimes we move too fast and it is good to slow down and have deeper, more thoughtful conversations about why it is we're making the choices that we're making. I've never done an initiative with a client that's taken a little bit long and in the conversation piece, in the strategic like development portion and been like, man, I wish we had sped that up. You know, I, I always right. wish the development piece, <laughs> the <Right>. like, <laughs> Like that part, I'm always like, I want that done. Like now that we know I want it done yesterday, I get that we all do that. But having those thoughtful conversations, you never regret those. 
You touched on another really interesting thing, which is the why. You said, why are we doing this? It's not, you know, what are we doing to speed this up or what are we doing to solve XYZ problem? It's why are we doing these things? And I think that's the part with speed that often gets overlooked. Because if you're doing something because it's popular now, the, the why is irrelevant and you're going to end up, you know, out of date in three months. Oh, so totally. I, that's really interesting. Yeah. Or do you have like kind of three major things you look at when you're creating a strategy? I'm, I'm sure it's not that simple, but is there a way to kind of distill it down on how you generally think about creating a strategy? Yeah, I do. And it touches on the why, um, you know, the first thing, and that's the most important to me is to look at the why of the brand, their vision, their mission, their goals, what their roadmap is, what their history has been any sort of context or insight into their past and maybe what their future, what they dream of their future to be, their team configuration, the stakeholders. I mean, living in in their world and what matters to that brand is the most important thing, first of all. And then second is the data. I mean, you can be in an industry and have definitely some overarching similarities for sure. There are benchmarks per industry that you can find similarities all over the place, but the actual audits and monthly reporting, any sort of reports we can pull um, on the specific brand site, that tells us what's working, what's not, where are the missed opportunities, where are the, the great opportunities that maybe we could um, utilize even more or enhance even more? And then I would say the third thing that just brings all of that together after I have their current stats and just the historical reports and then also the company's vision, mission, um, and goals is your UX best practices and your industry-based research. Like that's vital um, to really spend you know your time as a strategist my time understanding what that UX, what the UX best practices are in every component of the shopping journey on your site and so I use all of those things to come up with strategy plans um, they're all different for every client and it really is based on the data and all of the you know goals that they have and that's the how and the what you know and the who um, is all of that. I'm the why, um, and why are we doing this? Why are we doing it this time? Why are we doing this one first? <laughs> why does this one matter um, to your brand, uh, the value proposition that you're giving? Why is it that? So um, those are those are my components. So there's definitely a structure, but it also sounds like depending on your why or your when or your how or any of those defining questions, everything shifts around. You know, why, why would we do UX right now? Why would we do a total PDP rebuild? Why would we do a customer portal rebuild? All of those things kind of depend on situation, depends on data, depends on their long-term vision for the company, all those kind of things. Yeah. And so when you do, you know, when you look at all of that, you then build a roadmap. Like here are the six initiatives we want to complete. And we're doing a content strategy first, because once we know what it is we want to say, uh, once we kind of clean that up on the site, then we know what needs to be said on the product pages. We know what needs to be said on the About Us page or the subscription landing page, but you've got to do that baseline first. Or for another company, we would say, you know, we've got to do the product page first because all of your marketing is going directly to product pages and it doesn't say anything about who you are. So people don't trust 
your name because they don't know anything about you. So the first thing we have to do with that company would be, we've got to focus on a PDP. It all depends on, like I said, their data, their goal, their visions, and then you know what's necessary to prioritize that. So it's never the same for any client. It's too cliche to say that everything matters, but at a certain point, everything matters and you have to kind of figure out what matters first. <laughs> totally. Awesome. So I know that you are working with tons of brands at Simplistic. I want to dive into one specifically. Um, I don't think we're allowed to give the name for legal reasons, but we want to kind of walk around um, kind of what they've done and how they started and how they came to you and, and kind of their overall strategy. So um, can you give a high level of kind of what this brand has done to start and kind of where they're moving? Yeah. So, um, you know, some of the core brands that I've worked with over the last few years, more specifically is in the skincare, beauty, wellness, and then the food and beverage space. So that's, you know, for better or worse, the world that I live in, it's actually better because I love that space. But, um, I have had the privilege of working with a, um, company that's in the grocery space and the grocery space is so interesting because it's, it, it wasn't a super common place to shop over the last few years. And then obviously COVID, everyone was doing all types of shopping online. And so um, I've started working with some online grocers. And so this specific one came, you know, they came to us, we started partnering on a strategic uh, level about, I don't know, six or seven months after they launched their company. So they already had done a great job launching, getting um, a lot of exposure and a lot of new customers, and then started working with us to really be able to grow what they had already done and work on a, ret a return customer journey that was really solid. Very cool. So the so this brand originally started selling one-time products, just selling products out there or right away. And you brought in subscriptions, if I understand right, correct? Yeah. So they wanted to come up with a way to, you know, have a an easy way to repeat, you know, get repeat purchases and subscriptions is obviously a fantastic way to do that. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, every every company. I mean, not every, but so many companies have subscriptions, can offer subscriptions. So yeah. many products that you have. I have a huge list myself of, of products that, that I get on subscription. So, but the grocery space is like, of course, um, you know, this is a consistent product that people do need in their home, their staples. And so it was really not anything that you know, they are that company already really wanted to do that. And so it was just helping um, them determine what's the best pathway into the subscription world. And for us, you know, as you know, we've already talked about, I am a uh, take your time and gather data. And so we really recommended like just start offering subscriptions and wait, gather that data, find the shopping behaviors. What are your customers purchasing and um, how often are they doing it? What is the cadence? What questions are they asking? What uh, solutions are you maybe not hitting yet? And maybe what are you? Once you get that information, then we can decide how to grow and shape this program. Um, but we had to gather that information first. So then this is where the strategy side comes in. And I, I know the story. So I'm kind of leading you onto this, but 
Um, started selling subscriptions that definitely took off in one-time subscriptions. So buying, you know, a single product on a recurring basis definitely took off. Then the brand had a kind of strategic moment where they decided to kind of take a step back, look at the data, take their time, understand the why. And their next move was to start to put together boxes, if I understand correctly, right? Yeah. So, I mean, where they are, you know, they, of course, the credit to them, they know their consumers and they feel really passionately and strongly about offering them the type of service that they think that they want. You know, my world is like, yes, we think that, but let's gather that data to ensure it. Take some um, time. And they were right. I mean, they knew that when you are ordering groceries online, it it's not going to be the same thing every month. I mean, sometimes you need flour and then in two months you don't need it or some things you need on a quicker cadence. And so, you know, what they really wanted, their end goal was to get to a place where their consumers just had one bag, you know, like a grocery bag, like you would at a store and you've got your cart. And instead of having to go into your subscription and manage your subscriptions, and you have, let's say 20 different products, you have to go into them individually. You can divide them up by bags. Let's say you've got a, you know, shopping bag for your pets or for baby or for household or pantry. And you can then, or you could just have one <laughs> and you can go in there and update your products within that one bag. Um, and so because of that goal, we completely did a full customization and redesign of their customer portal. It doesn't look anything like the standard um, theme that you would use. And, you know, I'm really proud of it. And I definitely think that the, uh, you know, space of kind of waiting, gathering that information, and then having time to really dream up and decide what it is that we want to have at the end and also keep the idea of like, if more trends come, we'll make those changes. In fact, we're always iterating a little bit on it, uh, which I like. And um, yeah, so now when people go into it, it's not curated boxes, which that does fit some industries and some brands. It really is the customer gets to choose exactly how many products, when they're coming, but it's all under one uh, bundle, essentially. That's the word I was going to get to is bundle. You essentially are allowing consumers to create their own bundles, but it's multiple bundles, again, if they would like. Yeah. So, so I've seen a lot of grocery store brands and a lot of food delivery brands. This is one of the flaws is they kind of prepackage things. So they will curate a box on their own. They'll do you know a fruits and vegetables box and they'll put you know five or 10 different things in it. But yeah. what if you don't like bananas or what if you don't like cucumbers or spinach or whatever it ends up being? So yeah. what, what you're doing with this brand is allowing customers to come in and say, here are you know, the 10 things I want on a recurring basis, and I'm going to put that in a box. So every month, that's the stuff I want. And yep. then you can additionally come in and say, I want this on a one-time, I want this on a one-time, maybe that one I want on a subscription. And you can kind of create this custom shopping experience, which really does kind of exactly mimic a grocery store. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is too, there are some consumers who want to discover something new. And that's why I really believe in pulling those insights and paying attention to the patterns, because let's say we find that somebody is, you know, your, your, your subscriber count 
is at you know a set number, but then the products are shifting all the time. Well, then they're a perfect candidate for a curated box of discovery. And so then they probably are the type of consumers that are looking for a new brand they couldn't find in a store or a new you know, variation of a sauce or um, anything else. So when, if we had found that people were changing their products all of the time, then we would have considered a curated path, but their consumers were really making purchases and consistently sticking with them for the most part. And so we just wanted to make that really easy for them to make some swaps and some edits, but keep to the same cadence. Super cool. Just personally a story. I, th I think that I, I do most of the same dinners weekly. So yeah. I think it'd be really cool to have your own, like, this is Monday night dinner. This is Tuesday night dinner. And you can package all the things you want in those subscriptions yeah. But then, you know, maybe you get dinner nights for three nights of the week and you want to kind of swap a couple things out for other nights of the week. So I totally see value in that. I think the pets is a great example. You need your pet food or you need, you know, treats or whatever it is on a recurring basis. But occasionally we want to throw something different in there or yeah. something new or something like that. So yeah, um, super, super cool. I think that's that's really cool. And then um, just to confirm, I think we did touch on this, but customers can subscribe to multiple boxes that they end up creating, correct? Yeah, they can, they can subscribe to multiple boxes. They can look at their two boxes. Let's say they have two and they are like, you know, they're, I don't necessarily need them now two weeks apart. I can just merge it. They can merge the boxes. They, you know, we really built it in a way that the customer can make all of the decisions that they want to make right there. So even if let's say they have a one box that comes every month and for that month, they're like two of these within the 15 products I don't need yet. So I'm going to skip on those. They can do all of that within one box. So it's really a, you know, a, I think a really fantastic approach and one that more companies and brands who offer a higher product count and have customers purchasing subscriptions at a higher product count will definitely move towards Lots of SKUs is, is generally one of the drawbacks of subscriptions, just because you have to manage so many different products and in inventory, and that's really difficult. But this seems like a great way to do that. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, do you have any kind of high-level numbers? I think that we were, we were talking about subscription growth. Um, anything you can talk to about how this brand has kind of started and grown since then? I mean, you know, for this specific brand, their growth has been pretty phenomenal. I mean, just at the beginning of their... Um, you know, launch since they've started, I think it was a 506% uh, increase in their active subscription count. Wow. So it really is a testament to the shopping behaviors, you know, how people really have shifted. There is, of course, such a need for the, you know, brick and mortar store, of course, but there are just so many more people utilizing the e-commerce space to make their consistent shopping choices. And so they really filled a need um, and are continuing to expand. So they'll continue filling even more of those needs, but um, it's been really exciting to watch their growth for sure. And then tying this all the way back to the beginning, this is why something like a strategy is super important because if you don't take the time to really sit and collect the data and understand the why behind these things, this might've ended up as a curated box, or this might've ended up as just individual products that you're subscribing to, which subscribing to 58 products from a grocery store has gotta be a nightmare to manage that thing weekly or monthly, or even you know annually, whatever it is, but that's a lot of products to be, to be managing. Yeah, for sure. 
when we look at um, kind of your experience from a whole and we talk through failures, this is one of my things to talk through because I think yeah. the best lessons come from obviously the biggest failures. Um, sure. what, are, what are some kind of consistent failures you see with brands and how to maybe avoid those things, even though you usually end up learning those good lessons, but how to maybe avoid some of the big pitfalls you see? Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about, you know, just the, the brands and clients that I work with. And so many of them, I mean, I think probably 90% of them have a subscription portion to their business, um, a component. Yeah. So I do a ton of subscription work and I would say when they, when, you know, some of the things that I've seen that have just kind of been consistent patterns across the board is when you want to launch a subscription program, there is a, you know, a rush. I know this has kind of just been our topic of the day. I think it's like, we keep getting to the slowdown, but there's so many considerations that need to go into play when you have, when you're offering a new portion of your business component, specifically strategy um, around the subscriptions. And that is, you know, you have to make sure your inventory can scale. You go from one-time products that are coming in fairly consistent to, you know, you might have a hundred plus a thousand plus at some point subscribers purchasing the same product and they all ship out around the same time. So you have to make sure that your merchandising team, your inventory can sustain that um, high product count on X, you know, week of the month. Then you've got your email campaigns, your loyalty rewards programs, your paid ads, your messaging, your SKUs, like you said. Um, there's just a, a holistic approach that I think oftentimes when you are a brand, you are focusing on the launch of something and all eyes are on that. And then right when you get to the end, you're like, oh, shoot, we didn't think about the product launch that we have and or our email automations are for you know, the welcome automation that we have doesn't say anything about a subscription service or auto ship, or we aren't talking about that in any of our ads. And so you really do need to think about how it affects everything. And I think that sometimes gets forgotten um, in the overall launch of a subscription program. So just kind of taking a holistic approach, which Sounds very simple in theory to say, but is very complicated because like you said, every piece of the e-commerce experience affects every other piece of the experience. So if you haven't quite thought through, you know, what does customer A do when they hit the customer portal? Do they swap or do they skip? How does that affect their next page? And where are they landing? Are they adding or subtracting items? All of those things play a role. Not to mention even, you know, the pre and the post experience where you talk through marketing initiatives or, or inventory, all those kind of things. Yep. So definitely a complicated situation, but um, doable. And I think you, you take your time, you understand your why you look at the data and I think pulling all of those things together is difficult to do, but that's ultimately what, what everyone's trying to figure out. Yeah. Very cool. Um, we've talked through a couple pieces of advice a little bit. Um, I don't know if we've explicitly suggested advice, but, um, what are things that you would maybe suggest to a brand who's just launching on subscription or not? Like what's, what's one major thing to think through? Okay. Well, this is going to sound funny because this whole time I've been saying slow down, but if you are launching a subscription portion, I would say launch the subscription in a really simple way quickly, then slow down and pay attention to the shopping behavior, the patterns, listen to your customer feedback. Don't react to every customer complaint, but 
pay attention to the pattern. So as much as I'm saying, slow down, I really am like, launch it. Don't launch it perfectly. Don't launch it, you know, exactly the way you think it should be. Launch it in a way that we know is going to work well. And that's simple. And then slow down and listen and listen and listen to the feedback from your consumers. The other thing I would say is if there's one other piece of advice I'd give is make sure your customer service components are really well thought out and ready to be executed upon from the start. And so what I mean is if you have a portal, a customer, you know, you're managing subscriptions and you've never had it before, make sure your FAQs identify some of the questions that just we know people are going to ask about uh, cancellations and swapping and all of that. Make sure you're anticipating uh, customer service because that definitely is a component that needs needs to be ready and live and active on your site when you launch your subscriptions. I want to dig into both of those actually, because they're such good answers. The customer service one is really good because as much as people think that subscriptions, you just kind of flip a switch and it's just a subscribe versus a one-time product. It really does feel different for a consumer and people have the same questions over and over and over again. And that's not a bad thing, but you can mitigate so many of your customer support requests just from things, putting things publicly on your website. Like, Yes, you can cancel whenever you would like. Yes, you yeah. can swap this whenever you would like. Yes, if you want a blue shirt versus a red shirt or you know bananas versus apples, you can swap this however you would like. You're yeah. in total control. And I think that really does calm people down and, and gets them to A, subscribe, which is a great thing for your business, but yeah. B, it also empowers them to understand what's going on so they don't have to kind of keep asking questions and keep feeling like you're stringing them along. Oh, totally. And you, I mean, even... I have found, you know, if even myself personally, I had a a place that I subscribed to and they had a completely new portal experience and I logged in and immediately live chat popped up and said, Hey, we have a new experience for you. Any questions? And they were pre-built and pre-answered questions. And I was like, Yes, that is the kind of thing I'm talking about with making sure your, your customer service components those have to be really well thought out for sure. Absolutely. The other one I want to drill into is this, this idea of time because this slow versus fast thing <laughs> definitely feels a little contradictory. But I, I think it's one of our, our core values at Recharge for the longest time is simple solutions. So yeah. I think that it there's an element in here where you have to launch something because if you just are constantly thinking about this, is it perfect? Yeah. What am I missing? All those kind of things, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So yeah. you have to launch something quickly and efficiently. You have to get it out to the public. This idea of waiting and slowing down is getting public reaction and trying to figure out what are your customers going to do with this thing. So there's, there's a very clear differentiation between like launch something quickly, but then slow down and figure out where the problems, where the wins, and then build off of that. Well, and there's this layer too with, you know, when, when at least I partner with recharge, you the standard implementation that you have, it's a tried and true implementation. And so that's where, when I say launch quick, I really do mean you can do it really quick when you're working with a platform like Recharge because you already have the core components there and available for standard implementation to happen pretty quickly. And then we iterate, then we, you know, work on version two, version three, but that's when we can do that based on our shop customer, unique shopping behavior. You've already built it in a way, or Recharge has already built it in a way 
to kind of answer for the general overarching subscription shopper. Um, so it already meets most of the needs and then we get to optimize it for our, for our customers. Couldn't said it better myself. Let's flip the script and go the other way. So brands that are kind of found their, their product market fit, they're starting to scale, they're maybe at this 10,000 mark. How do you continue to scale past that 10,000, 20,000, even six figure, 100,000 mark? Yeah. Um, it's not going to be a revolutionary answer. I think that um, what is vital to the growth of subscription programs can sometimes be overlooked because they feel too simple to be that vital. And that is SMS, email marketing, and then utilizing sales and conversions type of integrations. Um, when those are kind of working or we've maybe got email marketing going, but no SMS or SMS is set up that's we're not doing anything um, that is unique to our customers, um, utilizing those integrations that help with upsells or cross-sells um, or just making it easier for our shoppers to shop. Um, it, like I said, it's not revolutionary, but those are the components that when I am working with companies who already are at that 100K mark but want to go more, you'd be surprised. I think I've been surprised to see that there's always room for um, optimization and enhancement in those legs of the subscription. Yeah. There's a reason why every brand uses email and there's a reason why SMS is exploding over the last two, three yeah. years, but differentiating is the word you use. That's such a good point in, in delivering something unique and delivering something fun as opposed to just the standard generic text of, Hey, we got your order. Thanks. Talk to you later. Yeah. Um, really identifying and customizing those pathways yeah. leads to, to huge, huge results. Yep. Final question for you. You hinted at it earlier and I'm, I've been excited to, to hear about these, but uh, what products do you subscribe to? Oh, okay. Chase, I wouldn't be an e-commerce um, strategist if I wasn't an e-commerce consumer. There you go. It is where I do the bulk of my shopping. So gosh, I mean, pet products, my hair products, skincare, our family all of our family, you know, kind of staples, pantry staples, shaving products, my kids' activities. Like I started just thinking about all the places and I'm like, I have a really good list going. <laughs> and I'm always looking for more. I remember at the beginning of COVID, I think I had a puzzle subscription for a little bit. So Interesting. I mean, I am, you know, I am definitely, uh, I get hooked by good advertising. So I will try any subscription. <laughs> subscription junkie. I love it. <laughs> and I'm learning. So I always kind of take it as like, this is research guys. This is, this is my research. There you go. It's not an addiction. This is, this is work <laughs> research. This helps. This is beneficial for all of us. <laughs> oh, I justify it. <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate all your insight. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chase. We'd like to thank Stephanie once again for joining us. If you're interested in Simplistic, you can head over to simplistic.com.